0: Previously, on The Tony Kornheiser Show.
1: I know from our area that it's a lot of new development. That if the ground has been tilled in that time, right, and there's been new construction, it's yes. not supposed to be as bad.
2: But right, okay. I,
1: we have we have tons of them. I mean, it's not like right. there's a hive of them, you know, flocking and, and eating a cow down to the bones or anything. But like the, we do, they're mostly dead. Um, and when Nigel was saying the uh, uh, too lethargic to mate, that's actually the working title of my memoir. <laughs> so, yeah.
2: The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. All righty then, we're back to a normal schedule this week, a Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule this week. Um, we did Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday last week so that I could take advantage of the fact that uh, the PTI show was dark on Thursday and Friday and I went out to the beach. Um, and played golf for a few days with three of my high school friends, uh, something that we try to do every year in two different places in Delaware and in upstate New York. And I went with Eddie Plutzer and Michael Kerr and Stephen Pearsall, and um, we had a great time. I will just say, because we're going to spend so much time talking about Phil Mickelson. Checking did, with
1: Home Depot Dan?
2: No, did not do that. Uh, the, the grill worked.
1: Are you the leader of the store?
2: No, no,
1: <laughs> no come on um
2: yeah so my golf scores then this happens to me all the time and i i think i speak for a lot of people who are not good golfers and in fact not good is not fair bad golfers who play a lot um i get out there and i think i'm going to be great and within the first two holes i make two terrible shots and get a double or a triple and I'm deflated, even though I don't realize I'm deflated. Anyway, I went, I played four rounds, and I shot 90, 94, 95, 93. So I can't, I can't tell anybody that that's not who I am. That's right around your par. You know, that's, that's who I am on a par 72. I'm plus 20 or, you know, right around, right around there. I made some good shots and some bad shots, but the most, we had the most fun. We had beautiful weather for four days, in fact, the first two days we played, we had to actually wear sweaters. It was hot here in DC. Yeah, and it was not hot there. The last day it was hot, but it was not hot. And then we go to this place called Hickman's, and we go to this place called the Rustic um, Acres Market, and we buy food and cook the food in the house, uh, grill the food, and, and Pearsall is great at, at cooking and being organized, and we had we just had a wonderful time, and we always have a wonderful time. We get older. We get slower, we get weaker, we can't hit the ball the same distance, but we always are renewed by the you know, by the experience, so I was very grateful for that. And then yesterday, I went to the Nats game. I haven't been to a sporting event, as most of you haven't, for quite some time. I went with Mark Tui and, and Marty's wife, and we went, and I got to meet Wayne Turnage, who is the um, head of... Health policy for Mayor Bowser in Washington, D.C. I really enjoyed his company. Baseball player. He was a baseball player because we're watching. And at one point, pretty much in a late inning, Josh Bell on second base, the lead guy, the ball is hit in front of him and he goes to third anyway. And they throw him out. And Wayne goes, you never do that. You know, the ball's got to be hit behind you. You don't take off on that. And he played. So you can tell that he played. And um, so that I had a really... I had a wonderful time going to the game. I did something highly unusual. It's because I didn't have my car there. I stayed for the whole game. Oh, so you got to see Brad Hand? I got to see Brad Hand. I was terrified of Brad Hand. Not so much of high- oh, when Swero, Swero comes in and the you know and immediately gives up a double and a wild pitch to third and gives up a run. I mean, I was immediately, on the phone
1: with you during that Ending and it was the highlight of my day. <laughs> Just
2: immediately, Wander Swero, I mean, get out of here. Just get out of here. But they went through Suero and they went through Hudson, who's been great in the eighth, but apparently has some psychological damage and doesn't want to pitch in the ninth. So they give it to Brad Hand and Brad Hand, first guy up, single right. You know, I mean, Brad Hand makes you nervous all the time. He's, you never feel if you're handing the ball to Brad Hand, it's going to be a clean inning. He got out of it. There were two people on. At one point, Davey had an intentional walk. He put the go-ahead run on, which you don't do in the ninth. To to pitch to a righty, Bradhand's a lefty. It did. It made no
1: it all about matchups.
2: It made no sense to me whatsoever. Two things that Davey did made no sense. He allowed Patrick Corbin to hit with the bases loaded, in the sixth inning, um, and then yanked him two batters. At, you know, after two outs in the seventh, if you're going to, you think you're going to yank him because of what his pitch count is and what he's doing. Put in a pinch hitter and see if you can break, break the game, the game open. open. I mean, I just, I just if I, I said that to a couple of people there. If I was still a sports reporter. I in the post game. Those are the only two questions I want to ask. I mean, what are you doing? I don't know. Un- Just tell me why you did it, because I right, can't. Are, are you come protecting a
1: position on the bench because because of your bullpen, you have so few players remaining, and you're trying to protect a catcher or something like that? Yeah,
2: well, you know that you're not going to put Gomes in the game to second pinch it. question.
1: Why do you give up four or five runs every first, first
2: inning? inning? And lefties did it. Uh, Lester did it, and then and then Corbin did it. Anyway, there were a lot of hits in the game. I don't have the exact total. But there were a lot of hits uh, on the game, and so it was not one of those games where you get bored. There was a home run, and there were a couple that came close. But it was it was a game of running and throwing, and and it was really, it was lovely to see. Um, I wore a mask in the concourse, not in not where we sat. That there is good separation, and everybody where we sat had been vaccinated. Did you wear your Nats mask? I wore my Nats mask and I wore a Nats, my Johnny O. Nats shirt. Perfect. Yes. Any,
1: any snacks?
2: Um, there were snacks. I had some sandwiches. You know, I had, uh, had a sandwich and I had a bag of potato chips. Oh, so you didn't bring a crust of bread. I didn't bring a crust of bread, no. But I was disturbed when I got home to find out that which I was going to have for dinner Saturday night had been thrown out.
1: I'm just looking out for you. Yeah, I mean, was something you had cooked, and you felt that well, I Something kept that it. I'd cooked two weeks ago, and it's I came over good. in your absence and said to Mom, make sure to throw this out, because he's going to come back from and the beach eat, and I, want this. I
2: wanted to eat that. <laughs> it was half the steak, and I wanted to eat it, and I, and I could not do How that. How was the escalator ride? The escalator ride? Oh, so we're going up a particular escalator, and it is an escalator in left field. Left field gate. Left field gate, and we go up, and I noticed to my right something that you... Really, you never can see on television. It's deep into left field, foul left field, and it is blocked by stands. But it is that board. It is the WAF board, the Wall of Fame. And I looked up and I saw a bunch of names. I said, Whoa, I've got to be on this. And I strained because there were, you know, there was building in the way, there were um, concrete abutments in the way you but get i fleeting
1: glances i did case. i
2: saw my name i saw my name i was very happy and then my first question was when are they going to take me down and put somebody <laughs> else in there but that was i was happy about that i looked around i didn't see fp <laughs> I, was like, I didn't see him um but i got no info on that i you know i was not in a position to have any really good information so
1: that's that's w- what i did um over the weekend. What did you do, Michael? I got to play golf yesterday. Great. Uh, and we actually, we opened up the water table for the boys. So we, we brought out the leaf blower to get rid of the cicadas that now Henry and- There the, aren't that many of them yet. They're still, the din is now in our neighborhood. It's been here yeah. for a few days, but yeah. they just, they, they are relentless and the boys want to smash them with rocks.
2: Okay. Well, you know, that's, that's one of the ways that
1: civilization moves forward. <laughs> But we, we've now entered the stage where Liz can sit. vise, I think is what they call it. She can sit, and the boys just play play at the splash table for 25 minutes. So, Liz, um, you hope Liz, they don't wander into traffic.
2: Liz, who's not from here,
1: never had the cicadas. Before.
2: What? Well, what does she think?
1: So I always try. So I've, and, I've had
2: them through. I four always times try and now.
1: direct the live ones towards her to see if she'll <laughs> jump, and then I take the exoskeletons and I place <laughs> them on her hair or her back. She doesn't like that. Right. You no. Know. How is she with the noise? She just discovered it this weekend, and she's like, "No, it is. It's the Beltway. Yes, it's it that, is. You know, it's the it's big, The, the two seventy turn on the Beltway. Yeah, and you can hear it all the time.
2: Um, they are. They're not in Delaware. I guess they couldn't negotiate the water without the Bay Bridge. The Bay Bridge. <laughs> yeah, they're not. They're not in Delaware, and I don't know how far north they are in Maryland or how far south they are in Virginia. I don't know that. So, do you have? Do you have any sense? I don't. Right. Or how far west in Maryland? Don't Mm -hmm. know. Like, are they in Hagerstown? I don't know if they're in Hagerstown, which is an hour away in Frederick, 45, 50 minutes away. I don't know. So, but it is, um, for those of you who wonder about it, well, nobody wonders about it. It's a remarkable act of nature. It actually, if you were philosophical or existential, it might either... Prove or deny the existence of God. I think it would prove it. Um, it. It's just remarkable that every 17 years, not 18, not 17, every 17 years, they come up out of the ground for a small period of time, relatively speaking, two three weeks. Oh, I thought it was about six weeks total, oh, but the high point is only in, is is that I small. Enough. I don't think it's that much. And then they go back in the ground. They mate. They go back in the ground. I, I don't know what they do. I, I just don't know what they do for the rest of time. I guess they're all, are they all dead? They're all dead, and then the, and then the new ones hatch and stay in the ground. And you know the obvious question: How do they know to come up? When do they know to come up? I mean, come on, this is this is science fiction. That when you think about this, it's just so weird. The other question, Michael Kerr, when I was out there at at the beach on the golf course, there were you know a bunch of birds. Different kind, you know. There, are, I, I, am I correct in this? Are there more species of birds than any animal? There are more because there's so many different kinds of birds. Are there more insects? I don't know, but there are so many different kinds of birds. And Kerr basically said, "What's the deal with birds? And what do they do? How do they keep doing this? Why are there so many?
1: What's the <laughs> so so deal with birds? <laughs> Why are
2: they so different?" So I had no answers to that, which made for a fun weekend for me. Um, is there anything else we should cover because we're going we're gonna have You do let You don't even let me pepper. go
1: into Phil Mickelson at all, the, the golfer of my youth. Go ahead.
2: Oh that's right. You, well, he's your favorite because you saw him in two thousand four.
1: Right. I like to come back to using the actual number of eighteen as a framing device to look at a golfer. And you think about Phil who's had these different phases. You had his first third of his career, that that opening six, where he was trying to birdie everything, and those are the near misses leading up to the two thousand four. Uh, Masters six second places in U.S. Opens mostly because he was a bad putter, a bad short
2: putter who played too aggressively. Oh, I would have thought aggressive decisions, but okay.
1: But it, but a lot of those you come back to the Masters like the O one that he could have uh, that he could have challenged Tiger more full, and he's missing three and four put three and four footers. You see that continue after he won the Masters. You then get to that middle phase where he's in contention seemingly every year all the time, and it's almost like a birdie bogey birdie bogey situation as he should have had winged foot. And I love the photos this weekend of the of the Phil Meltdown on 18T shirt that people were superimposing over Kepka, who plays all these stylized Nike polos. And you just wondered, what if he actually showed up with that? And then you actually looked at this final eight or this final six as he rounds out that 18, which was the British Open. He got the one tournament he never thought he could because he had to change the ball flight, change the way he approached a golf course. And then it felt like he was entering Twilight. And now we're in the, now we're in those bonus holes where he completely changed his body. He completely yes. did you
2: hear him say he fasts
1: 36, 36 hours, hours every week? Every week. He I mean, fasts. We're in Tom Brady situation. Now. Yes. And now we're sort of in these extra holes where you go, okay, it's it's one thing to change the body, chase the speed. And he looked at those drives on 15 and 16, where he's 10 yards past Brooks Kepka who was one of the longest drives on the 16th hole when he's still somewhat in contention on a hole that Phil has to birdie to try and give himself that two-shot cushion on the most difficult par three in terms of visually what it might look like for a golfer. So now he's playing those sort of bonus holes, and it's the ability to focus. A couple weeks back, he talks about how, I just can't focus for 18 full holes. And the drills he's doing, trying to play 36 or 54 holes with tournament focus, focusing on every shot. And that's what you saw this week, particularly the second half of yesterday's round, where he was missing some shots, but missing the more he could still protect a number after his brother sort of you know, punched him in the shoulder after the opening couple holes saying. You got to get get this together because you can't pitch in from a bunker every single
2: hole. The oddest thing for me in looking at his career is I think in the last two or three or four years... I think Phil is just basically an advertisement waiting to happen. Phil's coffee. That's all he cares about. He doesn't care about winning. He's missed a lot of cuts. He doesn't seem to care about winning as much as he cares about sort of staying out there, being jovial to the general public and making money on commercials. And he was ranked 177th in the world coming into this and deservedly so. I mean, nobody really, honestly, nobody thought he would win this. Nobody.
1: Well, you fast forward a few years down the line. How does this change the way we look at, say, the Golden Bears 86 Masters? I mean, that, that's always going to hold the spot that oh, it does sure. for most people. But you start to look at the numbers, being the oldest person to win a major. And credit to the PGA of America for moving this tournament to May, which when they first did it, you wondered what it would lead to in terms of opening up courses in the Southwest and in the, in the Southeast and how that would affect the major championship calendar. But you now look at Kiowa, and you want to say, this is going to be part of the— we want to see it at Kiowa every 10 years. They gave you a blend of the British Open and the U.S. Open and gave you a tournament that you'd actually like to see as a U.S. Open. 100%. All right, we'll take a break.
2: Wilbon's played Kiowa. Wilbon has played it. We talked about this last night. So Michael Wilbon will join us when we return. I am Tony Kornheiser. This is The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a solo stove ad, and it says, host ad lib, talk about your favorite outdoor memories like a beach bonfire, anyway. So I'm gonna do this. Um, I'm gonna say that when I was young and I was at camp, one of the things that we had were sleepovers You know, outside. They were called overnights. You brought up blanket, you brought up a bed roll, and, and there was always a fire. You made it the full night? Um, when I was a counselor, I left when the kids were asleep and went back to my bed. But when I was a camper, I was forced to stay over all night. And the bad thing about it is always you wake up and your body is just disgustingly covered with mosquito bites because the mosquitoes wait, you know, uh, it's like the Billy Joel song. They, you know, they heard, they listened for the motor. They counted the rotors, you know, they waited for us to arrive. Like this is what the mosquitoes are doing. They're waiting for us to arrive, but before the mosquitoes ate us to death, we would cook food on the in the open campfire, and and the best part, of course, was cooking the marshmallows at the on a stick. You would go and get your own stick. You'd shave the stick down. You'd put a point on the end. You'd put three or four marshmallows in it, and you'd put it in over the fire.
1: You burned marshmallow guy or lightly toasted?
2: Burned, totally burned, um, and that's what that's what I remember most. I have seen. I have seen adults do this now at various places where they sit around a campfire or a bonfire or one of those what are pits? What are those pits? A fire pit.
1: Fire pits. An in-ground fire pit, maybe.
2: Yeah, you know. And I go, you know, this is common to so many people. Not that they ever went on overnights, but the notion of sitting around a fire, a fire that you have tamed. You're not afraid of the fire. It's not out of control. It's not burning your house. You have exercised your hegemony over the fire. And you're sitting down in great comfort and sharing this moment with people you like. And I, it seems to me that that is the essence of the solo stove. That's the essence of it. I mean, if you ask me to be literary and why people do it, well, I just gave you about a minute on that. Solo stove creates story-worthy moments without the fireside fumes. Stainless steel construction designed to regulate airflow and burn more efficiently. So little smoke, you'll wonder how there's so much fire. It's easy to keep lit. It's even easier to clean. Solo stove fire pits are portable and they're built to last. They're easy to light with a few bits of starter. Your fire is blazing in minutes. They're so confident you'll love it. They offer a lifetime warranty and a 30-day free return policy. That is the communal event. The sitting around the fire is one of those You can go back, and if you think, when you've seen the pictures of the renderings of the cavemen, what are they doing? They're sitting around the fire. When man tamed fire. That was a big deal, kids. Check out the deep discounts available during their Memorial Day sale and get a free stand with any fire pit. So you can use your solo stove on any surface, including decks or outdoor rugs. Hadn't thought of that. Plus, use the promo code TONYK at solostove.com for an extra $10 off. That's solostove.com, promo code TONYK, for $10 off on top of their incredible Memorial Day discounts. But hurry, the Memorial Day sale ends May 31st, so that's in less than a week, I think. Use the code, people. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Maddie Clark. This is called Chicago. It's sent to us by our father Andy. He says, This is her latest song, Chicago, which, so far as I know, is not about Wilbon, with whom she's likely unfamiliar. She just needed a three syllable city that ended in O for the tagline of the chorus I Knew That You'd Outgrow Chicago. She could have chosen Orlando, Modesto, Kyoto, Bilbao, or even Toronto to name another great Midwestern city, but somehow, I knew that you would outgrow Toronto, doesn't have the same cachet. Personally, I would have gone with Rivera. Hope you like <laughs> it. This is Maddie Clark, and she's playing in Michael Wilbon. What a weekend for sports, right? What what a variety great. of things that you yeah. could watch. Yeah. Just-
3: yeah, that was great. I mean, you know, it's made greater um, by the, the urgency of two of them that, you know, you finally get to the NBA playoffs. And you get you know playing games at the beginning of the weekend, Thursday and Friday, and, and and playoff Saturday and Sunday, and then of course the PGA, and have the PGA. No matter who is in it, no matter who's on the board, but to have Phil do that and have an all time, all time victory, uh, you, you, you could just you could just be riveted by those two things. It's just a smorgasbord. It's just great.
2: You also had hockey. You also hockey playoffs. You had baseball. You had That's a lot of stuff.
3: Playoffs, yes.
2: Yeah, you had a lot of stuff going on. You went to Phoenix Lakers game one. Describe yeah. your feelings because there was there was a substantial group of people there. There was a crowd, yeah. a real crowd. What did you
3: yes, – how, how did it feel? I don't know what the number was, but it, what, you, I, I think I tweeted, Tony, when I first walked in the building. I didn't get the you – know, because you can't mingle the way you normally do when you're in media – I you know I got there like a half an hour before tip as opposed to two hours before, and I walked in, and the building looked it it, it, it wasn't full because people had to be a little bit spaced. Right. But it it I tweeted it looked like fifteen thousand. It sounded like twenty, and it felt like more. And, and because and you so you've got this occasion in, in in Phoenix where it's not just a playoff game; it's the first home playoff game, first playoff game of any kind, for the first home playoff game in 12 years, 11, 11 years, 2010. Steve Nash, Grant Hill, Amari Stoudemire. Yeah. So you've got the first playoff game in in 11 years. You're playing the Lakers. And and there's there's a natural rivalry between L.A. and Phoenix. And pretty much, I'm going to use we now, because I've had a presence here for 16 years. We hate LA. I mean, personally, I, I love, I love every I love I California.
4: So. Right, right.
3: But we, I mean, the culture of, of of Arizona. You hate you you hate Phoenix. You're supposed to hate them, and we hate them all the time, every day. Everything about them, except that they are coming over the hills and fleeing Southern California the last year or so to pay unbelievable amounts of money for our homes. So we don't hate Los Angelinos as much as we have. But you know, there's this thing. And the Lakers is the object of the thing, the primary object, because the Suns were first before there were Cardinals, before there were Coyotes, before there were Diamondbacks. There was the Suns, and there was, you know, Alvin Adams, you know, the Van Arsdales, and Jerry Colangelo, you know, put a team here, and they were first. And so they now have been last. They don't even exist. But you walk in there, Tony, and people were just rabid. So much of it is just want to get out. People want to do stuff. Arizona is open in a way Washingtonians would be terrified about. They have no idea. You know, and I, you know I, spend, I spend much of my time in, in two you know, incredibly blue traditional cities, Chicago and Washington, where people are still wearing masks. I was in both those cities last week. You come to Arizona, it looks like uh, 2018. Mask? What, what, what are you talking about? We're done with that. And people are just like, let's go. Let's go, sons. And it, it was just, it was, it was a little much at first to just be in that again. And I found myself giddy at the, at the, the novelty of it, um, the trip down memory lane, you know, almost two years. And then you had this great, you know, you had this great thing, this event um, with LeBron and the Lakers. You know, everybody thinks, oh, they 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 can still win. Well, you know, after yesterday, the, the the Lakers played Tony exactly the way they did against Golden State. The difference is the Phoenix Suns are a hell of a lot better than Golden State. They don't have a one man team. Golden State has one guy, and and, and you and you're sitting there, you like you're looking around at people, and everybody in the media is looking around saying, yeah, well. They got one guy, and they could barely beat him on Friday night. No, it wasn't on Friday. It was—I mean, they barely beat him whenever it was Wednesday. And yet now they're playing the same way against the Suns, and they're getting their butts kicked by double digits. So that's a whole different thing. We'll talk about, it, I'm sure, today on PTI. Uh, The—you know—just but—but the event was just cool, man. It was just good to be at a a rocking arena for a playoff basketball game. I loved every I get second it. of them.
2: I went to the Nats game, not a crowd, anything like that, but I was around people, and I felt good about that. Let me just get to a couple of things in the NBA. Four, at least four home teams lost over the weekend. Denver lost, the Clippers lost, Utah lost, the Knicks lost. Boy, were yeah. you wrong about Trey Young, because I did watch the last quarter of uh, that uh, game. Tony, and Tony. And Trey Young, Not just he's... wrong,
3: he's not good... <laughs> He's borderline great.
2: Yeah, he's, yeah, board, he's, yeah. he's
3: right there. He's he, he's walking through that door. He is yeah. John ja Morant. Listen, Tony, I don't know if I mentioned this to you yesterday. We talked a million times. The, the league, understandably, you know, wants LeBron James and Steph Curry. Okay, because they bring they bring numbers. They bring fascination. People love them. But Tony, the league has to get over it, and they got to get over it. And I'm not saying that, that, that Curry's finished. I'm not saying LeBron's done this, this series. I'm not saying that. But the league is going to have to get over them and their depend, its dependence on them. Because otherwise, it becomes like Jordan and getting over Jordan, which took years to get over the loss of Michael Jordan, the absence of retirement. They got to get over it. Because let me tell you something, John Morant, he ain't going nowhere. Ja Morant, John Morant and Trey Young, and there's a, there's a young posse of players out there, Tony, and they are kicking down the door. And you could see it this weekend. If Donovan Mitchell wasn't even there, he ain't even one of them. Not right now. And so, yeah, you're right, man. Trey Young, jeez.
2: Yeah. Let me He's give you one other thing.
3: dynamic player.
2: Reading, he won that game, and he was great he when he had to game. be great. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There was one other statistic that I saw that caused me to open my mouth. and go, really? Ben Simmons was 0 for 6 from the foul line. If I'm the coach oh, wow. of the other team, if I'm the coach of the other team, in exactly. the last three minutes of the game, if it's close, well, I'm hacking Ben Simmons.
3: Yeah, 0 for 6? Yeah. I mean, yeah, 0 for 6. Well, wow. He did have like 6 points, 15 and 15. It was a crazy. Yes. The only game I yes. didn't see any of yesterday because they was all at the same time as the but largely, as the sons or at least travel I'm time. Just, I I'm just say saying that that Philly.
2: you're a pro. You're a guard. Yeah, you're a guard. Yeah. What? What? You this, can this get is to is be not, a better foul shooter. You you practice yeah, that. Yeah,
3: yeah. You can do that. Well, this is not. So. This is not like he didn't shoot any threes. <laughs> he, this is mid free throws. I, I Tony, I didn't know that.
2: Yeah, yeah for six. I was not aware All
3: of right. that because that's the one game out of the four I couldn't see.
2: Let me get to Phil. Um, remarkable to win at that age remarkable being ranked 177th on merit because he's been nothing in the last year year and a half but let me get to you get six majors like we talked mike and i talked about this for people listening yesterday if you if you are the second greatest player when michael jordan is the greatest player it's hard it's hard because michael jordan is the greatest player it's it's just hard Phil is the second greatest player to Tiger. But when you get to six majors over a 30, you know, from time you start, it's 30 years on the tour. The sixth major puts you in really elite company. You're only the 14th yeah. player of all time to do that. What do you think of that? What do you think of what Phil did?
3: Uh, it, was, it was great on every level, every level. And this is a defining one because of the age, because no one has ever done it ever. So, well, I was talking to two people primarily yesterday during golf. And that was, you know, talking to you about it as I'm driving back and I'm missing a lot of it. Obviously, I went back and watched it. I'm talking to Robbie Petty, my dear friend Big here, player. who you know. And
2: player. Robbie,
3: yeah, Robbie's, Robbie's still a, you know, you know, Robbie's legit, you know, plus two. You know, he played at North Carolina. He didn't play professionally, but he tried. And Robbie's just a great player. And he's a golf you know, I mean, you know, he's he's obsessed. He knows he knows what the hell's going on, and we play here a lot in Arizona. And Robbie's involved with the event here in Arizona, and he texted me on eighteen, and he said, "This is this is better than Tiger's victory at the Masters." And I went crazy, I went nuts in the moment, and I just said, "It is not." And, I, and usually, I go. It's not right, Robbie, because, I mean, Robbie, is, Robbie knows more about golf than I'm ever going to know. And I go, stop. It isn't. It is not. Don't tell me it's greater than that. It's, it's People, I said, don't be a prisoner of the moment. You, you're too old for that now. i mean, you're too old for that. Robbie's 42 years old. And I said, it isn't. It, it's great. It's great in its own way, and it has its own cachet. But it isn't. And then, I don't know, I started thinking about it some more. And I get a text from my brother, Don, and he just says, does this equal Tiger two years ago at the Masters? And, I, and I, Then I, I had to start considering it more, and we got into the depth of it, and Robbie says, no, this is better. This is never. 50 is never. No male player in history has ever done this.
5: And so I don't know.
3: You know, I'll, I'll think about it and listen to more people today, and there are people out here, I might even go to the range, it'll be after the show the pros i mean I, talk, I i get the privilege of interacting with professional golfers all the time here and i want to know what they think it's going to be interesting to hear what they think just informally just people hanging around after lunch but yeah it's, it's uh,
2: that those are the two victories in the last 10 12 years that you think about that tell people this because you talked to me about this i've never played kiowa you've played it tell yeah. tell yeah. listeners what it what it's like yeah
3: yeah, it's the hardest golf course I've, I've ever played, and it's, I, I did this in the reverse order that you should. I was a young player. I was a total novice. I was three years into playing golf when there was a family vacation, a bunch of us, you know, a, a bunch of my guys, guys you know and have play with a lot of them. And we were all playing in our third or fourth year. And we were, you know, <laughs> younger and stronger. I might not have even been 40. I guess I was right around 40. And I, we played with caddies, and we went, we were excited, and we were, you know, we didn't know what the hell we were doing, but we could hit it there. Everybody in that group could, could hit it. And the caddies said, you're going to play from the tips, not the championship tees, but like 7,100. That's a long way for, for weekend players. And you're gonna, we're going to put everything out. I mean, you're here on a championship golf course. The Ryder Cup had already been, I think. Yeah. You're going to play it like it's supposed to be played with, 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 with big-time caddies. And, Tony, I shot 106. I, I birdied 18. I could hit it then. And I just remember thinking walking off the golf course, I shot what? And the caddy said, listen, 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 shut up. This is a great score. You play the championship golf course and you're a, you know, you're a piss man. This is a great score. And 15 and 20 years from now, you're going to look at things that are played here. You're going to say, my God, this is one of the greatest rounds of my life. And it is. It is. You know, and and you know you, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, The Caddy would say, "Put it here. you go, "What? what? That's like you know a right term, put it here, and so you know it's by the numbers you're doing what you're told to do, but I could actually execute shots there and I, Tony, I didn't love it. I don't love Kiwa, the, the ocean course I don't I, it's 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 got a certain beauty, yes, I just I'm not about swampland and alligators every fifty feet. Nah, it was 99, and the humidity was 140%. It was like the worst Washington, D.C. day you've ever seen. And it was every day like that at Kiowa. And I know people love it, love it. I know people who go, my family, listen, my, Cheryl and Matthew have gone to Kiowa. They say, Dad, we're going to go to Kiowa. We can drive. We can fly. I go, knock yourself out. Bring me a shirt. <laughs> and it, I've got shirts. To say Kiowa. You have said to me, Oh, somebody sent you that shirt? That's so why my family brought it to me because I refuse to go. I don't want to go there and play. I don't want to go to South Carolina in July. It's awful to me. And so, it, again, it's a, it's, it's, Tony, it's the most intimidating golf course I've ever seen. And by now, I have played a hell of a lot of great places and notable places and famous places. And, and, and Kiowa is, it's, it's, it's just like, what? Where, what am I supposed to do? What are you asking me to do here? And so, you know, and Cheryl has said, don't you want to go back and play because you played when you were, you know, it was 20 years. And I'm like, nah, uh, uh-uh. I'll watch. I'll watch it on TV. You guys knock yourself out at the beach. So I know that's not, <laughs> that's not what people want to hear the day after this great, great, great event. And it's a great, great, great event. I'm happy to watch Phil play it. I don't need to.
2: Fabulous. I'll talk to you later.
3: All right,
2: so Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. Wonderful. We'll take a break. Chuck Culpepper, who was on the Kiowa Island yesterday, is going to talk to us. When we return, I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Policy Genius ad. Summer is quickly approaching. Enjoy it without a looming to-do list. Policy Genius makes it easy to get life insurance done and done right. Feeling productive after submitting your taxes? Well, then ride that wave. Get life insurance done, too. With Policy Genius, it's quick and it's easy. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why compare? Because you can save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. You could save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. The licensed experts at Policy Genius work for you not for the insurance companies, so you can trust them to help you navigate every step of the shopping and buying process. Getting started is easy. First, you head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need, and you can compare personalized quotes to find your best price. When you're ready, the Policy Genius team will handle the paperwork and scheduling for free. They never sell your information to other companies. They don't add on extra fees. Head to policygenius.com to get started right now policy genius when it comes to insurance it's nice to get it right you're listening listening to the tony kornheiser show emma houghton we played her last week this is called bow and balance this is um from her record the bath that will that has been released it was released on may 21st this was sent to us by her dad this is stunning talent (laughs) this is really talent michael if people like emma houghton want to send us their music
1: their independent original music. How do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com.
2: I'd make sure to go to the end of the show at some point like maybe even now and listen to this. (laughs) I will be
1: sharing this, Spotify. (laughs) This this is really good.
2: Chuck Culpepper joins us now. Um, If you get a chance please read his story today in the Washington Post about Phil Mickelson winning because it is a great, great story. Someone who has watched this to figure out how to structure an interview with somebody who was at the PGA, I, I, I think we're going to have to go to the larger first and the smaller next, because the larger question here, is, the wide view question is, where does, he's 50 years old, Phil Mickelson, to me, of course, that's really a kid, but he's, he will be 51 Father's Day weekend at Torrey Pines, where he No longer really has to get an exemption because he's in for the rest of time having won the PGA. So the wide view, Chuck, is in the annals of golf, where does it rank that you have become the oldest player to win a major? And not a major at some, you know, Muni. I mean, at the longest, maybe the hardest course in the country that hosts majors.
0: I would say it ranks maybe in the bottom of the first tier of achievements. Maybe you put Jack and Tiger up there on top of it, you know, for their career achievements. And then and then you would uh, think of various things like uh, Tiger winning Pebble by 15 shots in the mm-hmm. U- 20, mm-hmm. 2000 U.S. Open. I, I might put that above it, or I would put that above it. Um, I might put three or four Tiger things above it, but let's say the top 10 ever, it would go in the top 10 ever, what Phil just did, I think.
2: That's what I thought. I thought it was at the bottom of the top 10, but I thought it was actually in the top 10. Now, had Tom Watson at 59 won the British Open, I would have said that was one, Mm -hmm. because 59 years old, it's like, it's an unthinkable circumstance. It's no longer, as we watch golfers, unthinkable that a 50-year-old can do this, but nobody would ever done it. I mean, he did it, and I guess he didn't do it in a dominating way. Um, I, I guess that the other people gave him the chance because everybody backed up a little bit. But he made shots when he had to, particularly chips when he had to. Over the last two days, he made some. He he missed a lot of putts that would have given him. Such a clear path in, but he made a couple of par saves that he had to, and he made fabulous chips, right? I mean, that's how he won it, I think.
0: Right. I like that quote from Brooks Koepka. It's a really short one who said, The thing is, Phil played great. I think (laughs) what he was saying in that is that maybe he didn't play great in the way, like when we looked at Tiger at Pebble Beach or whatever, but he played great relative to the others in the sense that that course just tormented them and nobody could make a chase. And so within that framework, what he did while it might have, Oh, let's say just the one highlight from Sunday. And it was that highlight might be tucked all the way back at hole number five, you know, the chip in from the bunker. But yeah. uh, while he may have only that, he still, as a whole body of work played great relative to what, what people were able to do on that course at that time, because it just made some of those guys look, I don't want to say foolish, because they're so incredible at what they do, but almost foolish.
2: So the one of the interesting things to me, the guy, Louis Oosthuizen's a very, very good player and a very steady yes. player. Louis Oosthazen put one in the water on Saturday and one in the water on Sunday. So did Phil. One in the water on Saturday, one in the water on Sunday. Yet Phil held his relative position a little bit better than Oosthuizen did. When you watch that, when you watch it go in the water, I mean, I'm looking at it going, what are you doing? Like even Faldo was saying, no, you play left here. You, what are you doing? Well, how did you feel on, on shots in the water for Phil?
0: At the moment that he, I, I felt like, the, uh, you know, we've been through so many paradigms with Phil, including the ones where he couldn't handle the Sundays of majors well Mm -hmm. before he won the '04 4 Masters. So I I had that old feeling again when it would go on the shots that went in the world, like, oh, here's the moment when it comes unglued. Yes. Maybe we've kind of forgotten how in that moment when you feel that you forget how, okay, in your field in 2013, his back nine was so astonishing. Remains one of the best finishes I can remember, you know, on on a really tough course then too. So you know maybe you should think about muirfield as well in that moment but i had those feelings of okay here's where you know unhinged here goes unhinged here here comes a double and maybe a, a bogey somewhere down this line from here
2: i had i had that feeling like on 17 yesterday which i think most people seem to be saying is the hardest hole on the tour when it's when it's being played and when he hit it into the high weeds I just thought, man, he could skull this. He could go in the water on the other side. It could be over here. And yet he hit a, he, you had to make four and the chip allowed him to comfortably make four. Did you have those fears at 17 yesterday?
0: I think by 17, I had a sense that he would hold on to it. I just had this sense that, I mean, that shot at 17 was what? All adrenaline, you know? that was that went through yeah, like that over. And, yeah. Yes. And I, but I just had this sense they had enough cushion and I really wasn't sure the other, I, I was certain he wouldn't get somehow certain he wouldn't get back down to four under. And that I knew that the others somehow I thought just weren't gonna menace as they say in, in horse racing notes. Sometimes they were going going to fail to menace. So, I, I, I just had the sense then of a, this sort of odd um, assurance that he was he w- he would hold on to it.
2: Yeah, well, he. I mean, his his drive on 18 was good enough. It was on the left hand side. He's a lefty. This is not a problem. His second shot on 18 wins the tournament, and everybody knows that. And then you have what I have seen in my life firsthand, but never in the United States. For me, I've seen it at the British Open with the last group on 18 and everything fills in and, every, you know, and, the, and you lose the golfers for a while. I'd never seen that in America. What were your thoughts when you saw that?
0: I was standing out there beside the 18th fairway on the right. It seemed like the end of time. It really did, which now it's Monday, so we know it wasn't. But I, <laughs> I, the, the way they do it at the British Open, they almost have tea as they... They follow so gently, the player. I remember David Duvall at Litham in '01, and, you know, other ones, too. That's the one I remember the most. But, yeah, they just, they just follow kind of in a way that, that makes it seem charming. And, and then I remember it at Atlanta when Tiger won the tour championship in 2018. And as somebody pointed out yesterday, I think it was Tim Mickelson. So Tiger just did a good job of staying in front of them all somehow. They weren't going to catch up to Tiger, even though you know, it, it was a throng that could have overwhelmed the security there and gotten to him, but it just didn't. And yesterday, there were, pe- oh, there were people who were frightened to be in the middle of it. And um, it, was just, it just felt like some sort of bedlam that I had to attribute partly to the pandemic and to the idea that people finally felt that they could. And they just went running. There was a woman standing next to me screaming, are we all in college again now? What is this? (laughs) We're all just drunk in college. And so it just, it was shocking. And, um, but had that double edge to it, which both Mickelson brothers pointed out, which was uh, thrilling and a little harrowing all at once.
2: So we'll get to that. Let's get to the harrowing part a, a little bit because Brooks Kepka has basically said it was a Tanya Harding situation that somebody was trying to kill his knee. Did you get, I mean, I just went, what? Do you get any sense of that? Did you get any sense of that?
0: Of it, that people were uh, attacking someone, you mean? Yes,
2: attacking Kepka, trying to kneecap had,
0: him. Right, I had no sense of it at all. I had no sense of really any uh, the whole way, any hostility toward him, even though he was the the villain in the mix per se. Um, no, I just didn't. But then it was very hard to get a sense of anything standing out there because it just, it just, it just went unhinged completely. It just, it was, it was confusing at the time as well. So I couldn't even see where they were until, you know, seeing video later. And so I, it, the whole thing was just, uh, kind of disorienting
2: i'll get to one more question about kepka and then get back to phil because i am among those who thought kepka would win especially after the first hole when there's a swing you know when when phil bogeys and kepka birdies and i say okay this is pretty much it kepka has a reputation of closing out majors doesn't care about anything but majors he's going to win does this at at worst put a dent in the mythology of brooks kepka and you know at at the greatest part actually undo the mythology of Brooks Koepka?
0: I think it's really fascinating. And I became really fascinated with him as an athlete because when he won those four majors out of nine, I think it was, or 10, he had seemed to conquer doubt. And there was, he would walk the course, the feeling around him there, just to hold off Tiger in St. Louis and that, that, that uh, situation in 2018 in the PGA, the whole thing. He just had this. It's not. Wasn't really even a swagger. It was such a, this effortless avoidance of doubt. And the idea that now we've had the 2020 PGA in San Francisco, where he um, kind of talked big on Saturday night, made fun of Dustin Johnson. Those things are kind of fun, you know, if you're following the sport. I thought it, you know, lent the event some some mustard. But then on Sunday, he just just was just flawed, just was completely flawed and all the way through. And so now we have two cases of that. So it makes me wonder if his mind has changed at all as he approaches these, because I was certain that he was going to win as well. And it just makes me wonder if, if his thinking has gone altered a bit, um, because, you know, there was a time where you thought that mind is just ironclad, but it, it's not going to give up anything. But yesterday was just just blowing gaskets all over the course.
3: I agree
2: with that. I mean, I think we've seen this happen with Spieth, and we've seen it happen with Rory, and now we've seen it happen with um, Kepka. I'll go back to Phil. Phil seems, and maybe this explains not all of it, but some of what happened on the 18th hole. Phil has always seemed to be more popular with fans than with his contemporary players. Am I correct on that?
0: I think he's up there for sure. Yes. I so think it's. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, dude, go ahead. Yeah. Tell you explain it. Go ahead.
0: I think there are a lot of elements to it. I think one of them is just looking over there and giving that thumbs up. And I mm-hmm. think it's incredible what that that does, what that does. I think it, establishes some sort of connection. I think there's been a kind of an openness about him, even if it's, if it's not the reality in some ways, but there's been an openness about him out on the course that, to which people respond. I think he's, you know, the, just serial thumbs up all the way around, you know, this tournament for one. And I think that's been his way. I think people feel like they know him.
2: Yeah, I, I will, you know, and I like Phil a lot. But if you asked me to give the word, calculated is the word (laughs) that I would have to give on Phil. And I really like (laughs) Phil. Um, Nobody had him winning this. He's 177th in the world on merit lately. He's doing silly events, and basically he's out there endorsing himself. Um, It's just, it really seems out of nowhere. But if you don't think it's out of nowhere, if you think, no, this is what happens with great champions and to be fair he's now put himself in a category six majors he's only there's only 14 people in the history of the sport who have six or more only 14 so so did people like me count him out too soon
0: i don't think so i think this is so out there that that you'd have been irrational if you had not counted him out too soon it's funny to think he's got six and that for so long he couldn't win one and it was a big topic. And then the first one comes and he's almost 34 years old at that time with that first masters. And so we're we're looking at Kepka, who yesterday, if he had won would have tied Phil, which is incredible and is still only 31 and Phil got started at 34 and now is up to six. And we, then there's this other thing we hear golfers all the time. It's a recurring soundtrack out there of how, Well, they're hitting it, but the score just doesn't quite reflect it yet. You know, and Mm -hmm. there was some of that with uh, Tim Mickelson talking, you know, the caddy and brother. There was some of that yesterday talking about how you guys didn't see it and you couldn't have seen it. It's not your fault you didn't see it, but it was it was there. It just wasn't all coming together at the same time. And, you know, but it was there. You you know, we, we knew it. And Phil said about three weeks ago, I'm going to win sometime soon. I know it you know even if you went back and you knew all that you couldn't have forecasted this
2: no i agree with that i mean i think if you if you cover golf and like you and you've been to a lot of golf tournaments that this is one this is one you remember because i'm not I'm, look it's certainly possible someone is going to come along at 50 51 52 53 and win because athletes are different now nutrition is different everything is different but for now you look back on on previous big wins, and, and it's, it's like a not-in-your-lifetime situation that this record is broken to this point. So that's a big, I mean, I think you'll remember it, right?
0: Oh, for sure. And it's such an outlier um, in, in more ways than, than just the age factor. Uh, and it makes me think, this is really strange, but it makes me think of the PGA 30 years ago when John Daly won because mm-hmm. it's, it's almost as out there as that was, I think. Daily, you know, none of us knew who he was. The ninth alternate comes in, storms the place, leads all through the weekend. And so here's somebody that everybody knows who he is, uh, leads much of the weekend. And it's – but somebody who's just – you know, the age is part of it, but not all of it. But just because of what we knew, uh, two wins on the Champions Tour already, you know, it just – it's just so – odd that it, it, it will it'll stay lodged in the memory for sure where other majors you kind of have to go oh yeah that was that was the one where so and so won and were there any shots I remember from that no not really
2: yeah no I know how that works there are Super Bowls like that there are championships like that we just go, I can't can't even remember it but everybody's going to remember forever that Seattle decided to throw the ball on you know, on that down and the Patriots won that way thank you Chuck great job writing great job thanks very much
0: Thank
2: you so much, Tony. Thank you. Chuck Culpepper. It's terrific. We'll take a break. Uh, we will have email and jingle when we return. Am I correct on that? I have the order of the show right? You are correct. Yes, that's right.
1: I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. We are in the thick of grass-growing season, and this is the Sunday read. They want me to talk about common problems that we're now seeing with our lawn, and for us, based on our west sun-facing angle, Uh we do have some brown spots. And I and I talked about my green juice, which got me through the early. We have some brown
2: spots too, but it's Chessy.
1: She is different different yeah. cause of the brown spots. Yes, and I sure. believe we just got our package with our, with our heat defense uh, heat sort of defense. Uh, yeah, proto. I'll call it the protocol to try and keep us healthy okay. through the summer. Uh, so see your lawn thrive this spring with your own custom lawn care plan from Sunday. Sunday is more than just a lawn care product. It is a custom lawn care plan with a variety of ways to help you grow a beautiful lawn, control weeds and remove pests. They take out all the guesswork and all the unwanted chemicals so you can grow a beautiful lawn that's better for people, pets and the planet. They have uh, italicized unwanted chemicals, just to emphasize yeah. that I don't want those chemicals. No, you want people, pets, and planet. Well, what do we like, like most about Sunday Lawn Care Plan? I, at first, loved the ease of use, and now that we have the boys outside, we know we're visiting playgrounds again, but they're at an age where they just want to tumble around on the grass, and by tumble, I mean they wrestle, and it's the younger one who just headbutts the bigger boy, who knows how to use his words against the younger one. So we're in that vicious cycle. Uh If you've tried Sunday add-ons like weed control, seeds, or pest control... Uh, I've not tried those, but I know that we are about to go into a program with the pest control and I've got a phone call about that this week And I'm expecting that they'll be as easy to use as the lawn care Is this your first time getting serious about lawn care? Yeah, this is our first time owning a house Sunday makes taking care of your lawn easier than ever Just go to sunday.com put in your home address and their free lawn analysis tool will take care of the rest all in just seconds Sunday uses soil and climate data to create a tailored nutrient plan So you get all the stuff your lawn needs and nothing it doesn't with that climate and nutrient data I bet they can tell you when and how long the cicadas will last. Interesting. Sunday is made with ingredients that you can actually pronounce like seaweed, iron, molasses so you can go, grow better and feel better about it. They explain exactly what you get and why, and everything is waiting for you at your door when you need it. All you have to do is attach the ready-to-use pouch to your garden hose and spray. Lawn care used to take up my whole day. Now it's just less than 15 minutes, and this stuff really works. Let Sunday take the guesswork out of growing a greener, more beautiful lawn this spring. Visit GetSunday.com to get $20 off your custom lawn plan at checkout. That's $20 off your custom plan at GetSunday.com slash Tony. Good job. Thanks, Dad. You're listening to The Tony
5: Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show.
2: Spill pitcher on a circus organ, basically. It makes you want to roller skate. It <laughs> just, <laughs> it just. Well, just it makes, roller skate
1: makes me want to roller skate. Did the <laughs> suite have the little packets of Cracker Jack yesterday?
2: No, no. But um, popcorn. There was some popcorn. I just stuck with the potato chips. Yeah, it was really nice. Nigel, you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Yes, thank you very much, Mister Tony. Bethesda Bagels,
1: we love them. You will as well. We got those things we like to call bagel sandwiches. Maybe you bagel call them sandwiches. Someplace. Yes, bagel sandwiches. They're delicious. You will love them. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you, then pop on in and you will be thrilled.
2: That'll do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say the screen door slams Mary's dress waves. Like a vision, she dances across the porch as the radio plays. Roy Orbison singing for the lonely. Hey, that's me and I want you only. Don't turn me home again. I just can't face myself alone again. That, of course, is Bruce Springsteen. Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon, Chuck Culpepper. Thanks to our sponsors, Sunday, Policy Genius, and Solo Stove. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through iTunes, please leave a review. From Carla Corrado in Columbus, Ohio, thinking about the dangerous conversions of that tiger on the loose last week in Houston and people (laughs) placing plastic bags filled with gasoline in their trunks. Puts an entirely new meaning to the very old Tiger in Your Tank marketing campaign by Esso. Guess this is the old guy radio reference of the day. From Jimmy Schneider in Sioux Falls, I'm young and tender, 52 years into my wonderful life. This gives you an idea how young I was when I watched the sports reporters from its very start my two takeaways the amazing quality of the content and interaction which inspired me to read about sports is the first takeaway the second was the spectacular pant sh- sock shoe combinations you all wore thanks for all of it tony and the same to your associates the chairs on sports reporters for people who uh, remember you were visible your your entire outfit was visible uh, not like on the PTI show it's where like it's a lo- just a low seat waist up yeah and so but with an open look there the table was very very small so if you were in the corners as often Ryan and I were in the corners you could see our socks and our shoes uh, from Steve the sycophant on Monday's show in responding to a little who noted the inordinate amount of emailers named Steve you said Steve the sycophant can get on anytime he wants this burnt the cockles of my aging heart but dear Toby we know it's not true. You and Nigel must always separate the email wheat from the chaff. And to tell the truth, Steve's my middle name. You see, my paternal grandfather was named Carl with a K. So his firstborn son named the same as was I. That resulted in too many Carls, so Steve I became. My firstborn is also a Carl and uses his middle name. But he knows that naming his first child is his choice. Besides, if it's a girl, Carl or Steven just wouldn't work. Maybe Bootsy the Hammer is the way to go. As I long as it's so. not an ER name. Yep. From Aaron Hosman in Chicago, wondered if it might be possible to get a shout-out for Loyal Little, and don't hold this against him, former All-Big Ten golfer at Northwestern Chris Thayer, or rope as his golf teammates called him back in the day. Chris, a man by Mike Gundy's standard, beat a bunch of college young punks to take medalist honors at local qualifying at Common Ground in Aurora, Colorado, a couple of weeks ago. Chris, a relatively new dad, is a three-time Colorado mid-am champ, and way more importantly, a great friend, wishing him lots of luck as he tees off on the final qualifying today at the Dallas Athletic Club. Chris's wife, Missa, organized a surprise trip for a bunch of us to celebrate his 40th birthday at U.S. Open at Wingfoot last year before the pandemic screwed that up. would be really awesome to get to travel out to Torrey Pines to watch him tee it up a year later. Go get him rope. We always do things like that. Uh, Matt Welge of Naperville, Illinois, which is right near Chicago, says, I'm writing to you as a fan with a fairly good track record. I've sent two emails and both have been read on the show. Two for two is better than most Nats pitchers, but that's not (laughs) why I'm writing. I don't have bourbon or socks or undies or stoves to offer you. I can, however, offer myself. I'm a licensed physical therapist with over 20 years of experience in geriatric Oh, that hurts. Physical therapy. I'm here to help you pro bono in any way you're willing to take. We could work out an assessment over the phone or Zoom, or I can work on, with you on the best exercises and strategies to help you through the ankle issue. So that's, you know, I got that going for me, which is nice. Thank you very much to Matt, and I probably will call. From Tim Cree in Fort Collins, Colorado. The common disdain for the Subaru in all forms is well documented with this program and across the country, but I'm surprised that Subaru itself isn't taking advantage of this animosity. Instead of naming their car makes things like Outback and Forrester, why don't they go all in and introduce the new Subaru Pretentious? Clearly identify yourself as the alpha of the pack inside your brand new Pretentious. This car can't be in a collision, never runs out of gas, and every child inside this vehicle is loved unconditionally. Go Pretentious, go Subaru. From Ryan Popovich in Las Vegas, Nevada. Dear Dr. Hoff-Waff, do Subaru drivers eat cicadas in a garlic sauce or do they barbecue them? From Steve Goldberg in Charleston, South Carolina, had the pleasure of attending the ocean course this weekend, staying with a friend for the night at casique is that how yep. it's pronounced? Casique at Kiowa, humble brag, I know. Another couple I'd never met were also guests at his house. During dinner, conversation turned to the gutting of team sports at the collegiate level. To show how smart I was, I talked about the great article I read on this matter written by Sally Jenkins. He too had read it, and I assumed he was familiar with her work because he's from the D.C. area. Later that night, I let him know the Wizards had won their play-in game. Good for Les Boulets, he said. I stared at him for a second. Wait, are, are you a loyal little, I asked. So that is why you knew about Sally Jenkins? Look, cheesery, <laughs> he replied. I gave him the TK salute. And for the next 30 minutes, we talked about our long history with the show while our wives just rolled their eyes at us. So shout out to Eric Satchwitz. Enjoyed meeting another little. Uh, from Joe Farrell in Olney, Maryland, who writes, you want cicadas, you got, we got casadas. <laughs> Bonjour, my favorite moment of the PGA when, was late Friday afternoon when Eric van, Ru- van Ruyen, is that it, Van Ruyen, destroyed the T-marker and his club on oh, some. Yeah. he broke it. He <laughs> broke the head off the club, was banging it around. Van Ruyen is Dutch for the Ruyen. It's just the best email from Joe Farrell we haven't heard from in a while. If you're out on your bike time, everyone, as always, do wear white. And uh,
5: tell me, you brought three of your friends. Could you please introduce Yes, there's
0: George Parasol, <clears throat> Ringo Stone, <laughs> I'm a charm leader. If
4: I wanted to
5: cut and pack every brown I'd drink.